Good morning, church. We want to welcome you here this morning as you're tuning in from wherever you are. As Christ Church is not closed, just spread out this morning like the early church. Despite all of the crazy problems and challenges of our world that our world faces right now in our country, even more the so this morning, we celebrate online this morning because our biggest problem our biggest challenge, the sin that separates us from God, has been taken care of and wiped away by Jesus' blood and his resurrection from the cross. And so that's why we celebrate this morning, and that's why we're gathering online, is to put our eyes and our hearts on him who can take care of and who can address all the worldly issues that we currently face. So praise God for that. As you may know, as we are uh, having services online, many missionaries from our church are able to worship with us. So hello to all of you from wherever you are joining us from, whatever country. It's so great to have you with us. And today we have a special greeting from missionary Phil Aspigrin, who's joining us from Costa Rica this morning. So let's see what he has to say. Greetings, friends at Wheaton Bible Church. I'm Phil Aspergren. My wife, Jill, and I are missionaries of the church here in San Jose, Costa Rica. And much like you, we've spent the last several months in quarantine at home. Uh, we were thankful that our three sons happened to be visiting when the airports closed and they were unable to return. And so we've been quarantined together. Our empty nest is full again. In spite of the pandemic, um, foster families across Latin America continue to open the doors to their hearts and their homes to receive at-risk children to live with them. Uh, here in, in Costa Rica, we've had dozens of families in the Casa Viva ministry that have received children during this pandemic. It's much like God, isn't it? Um, he opens the door to his heart to receive us as his sons and daughters in spite of the cost that it was to him. This morning I'm reading scripture from the Psalms. Psalm 89 verses 5, 7, and 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who, all who surround his throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful.
Let's read, read together responsively from Hebrews 11, starting with the men. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and And that that he he rewards rewards those who seek him. Let's pray together. Our Father, help us to approach you with a deep reverence and a joyful faith. Give us holy boldness and confidence that you are our faithful, covenant-keeping God and that you cannot abandon or reject us. Forgive us, Lord, for we are not faithful followers of you. We have desired and pursued things that injure us, and we have despised some of your chief mercies. Like Esau, we have been quick to exchange the glorious privileges of our birthright in Christ for the fleeting delights of sinful bodily pleasures. How can we ever thank you for your faithful patience with us? Though we are weak and inconsistent, you never change and you never will. You remain the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so our weak and faltering faith finds a strong and steady resting place in your perfect strength, goodness, and love. Thank you. May we be rich in faith, strong in power, joyful in its sweetness, vigorous in its nourishment, and steady in its source. Oh, Lord, increase our faith. In Christ's name, amen. See
Well, amen. You know, one of our family struggles during this time, and maybe similar to yours, is when will this go back to normal? When will we get out of here? And um, as we were getting ready to sing this next song, I was reminded about how long-suffering God's plan is for his people. That all the way back from creation, all the way to this moment, God has shown his faithfulness over and over and over again, even when the people didn't see what he was doing. And so I hope that as we sing and we recount all that he's done, that we can look forward to our future and remember how trustworthy he is. So let's sing together. By faith we see the hand of God in the light grand design in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness who walk by faith and not by sight by faith our fathers roam the earth with the power of his promises
morning, church. I'm Chad Lowe, and I'm the interim campus pastor of Tri-Village Church, our Streamwood campus. On our monthly prayer guide, there's a quote from A.J. Gordon, and it says, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. One of the values here is that there is power in prayer. Every week, the staff gathers to pray for you and the situations that you're facing. Whether it's relationships, employment, medical diagnosis, friends or family, we're praying with you and for you. Would you please take a moment to text the word prayer to the number on the screen? You'll get a response back asking for your requests. And if you'd like to stay anonymous, we would still love to pray for you. We also wanna let you know that your generosity has been caring for the community. One of the members of our church has been out of work since December due to a surgery. And just as she was about to return to work, another injury prevented her from returning. But through our benevolence fund, we've been able to help her pay her rent. Another family was directed to us through the Carroll Stream School District. The father has been sick for two weeks with COVID-19. He's been unable to go to work. And during that time, his one-month-old daughter tested positive as well. Ultimately, he was unable to work for an entire month and help provide for his family of four. We helped connect him to food pantries and were able to provide rental assistance to stabilize the family. In the last eight weeks, we've shared many stories like this and seen how God is at work in the midst of this crisis. There are a number of families needing help and through your generosity, God is providing for them. If you're able, would you please take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving to support ministry through Wheaton Bible Church? You can do this easily by texting the word Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can also visit our website, wheatonbible.org give, or you can mail a check to our church offices. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. Now, I'd like to ask Pastor Hannibal to come up and pray for the offering that we're about to receive. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the preaching pastors here. And before our pastoral prayer this morning, I, I want to invite you to pray for two things. First, for the last few weeks, uh, we have been seeking uh, for the Lord. We have been seeking for his wisdom. We have been talking and thinking about what needs to get done in order for us to gradually open, start to open the doors of our church. Uh, see, as a church, we are committed to loving you. We are committed to loving our neighbor. Uh, we, we are committed to do everything in our power to keep the church safe and to keep our community safe. Therefore, I'm asking you to please pray for us and please pray um, with us as we, as we start to think about how, uh, how to open the doors of our church, to gradually open the doors of our church. Um, as I mentioned already, uh, this is something that we have been doing for the last few weeks. Um, we know that it's a sensitive uh, topic. We know that it is complicated, but we also know that we have a command from the Lord to start thinking about these things because it is important that the church gathers, but at the same time, we know that these are difficult uh, times. So please pray for us and please pray with us. The second thing that I want you to pray for, I want to invite you to pray for, is that I know that you're familiar uh, with everything that has been happening in our country, especially Minneapolis in the last, in the last few uh, weeks, actually. Um, we're talking about violence, and we're talking about racism, and we're talking about discrimination, and we're talking about prote uh, protests and, and, and riots. Um, and we want you to know that we as a church are committed to what we call generous justice. See, we believe, it's actually one of our values, because we believe that the church, uh, that the church is called to seek and to care for the under-resourced and the vulnerable. 
We believe that unjustified violence is wrong. We believe as a church that racism and discrimination is wrong. We believe as a church that we cannot be indifferent. The Bible calls us to care for the widow and the orphan and the immigrant and the poor and the oppressed. Scripture is full of that. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to care. And I want to invite you to love for those that are victims of injustice. So let, let us pray for our government. Let us pray for wisdom for our government. Let us pray for uh, just laws. Let us pray for racial reconciliation. Let us pray for repentance. Let us pray for forgiveness. Let us pray for protection for both law enforcement and for our citizens. And let us care. Let's use, let's do whatever we can do to bring heaven to earth. Let's do whatever we can do to bring dignity to people created in the image of God. Let us fulfill what it means to love our neighbor just as much as we love ourselves. With that in mind, let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that we have you as our God. The Bible shows us, Lord, that you are a God of justice just as much as you are a God of grace. Lord, we know that you care, Lord, for people in government and you care for people, for the afflicted. We know, Lord, that you care for the people that have a lot and for the people that have very little, Lord. We know, Lord, that you care for the oppressor and for the one that ha is being oppressed. Lord, and as a church, we come before you and we ask you to please extend mercy to us. And extend mercy to our country. And extend mercy to our churches. And extend mercy to us as individuals, Lord. And that you allow us, Lord, to participate in the restoration of creation. That, that which will give you glory. We also pray, Lord, for wisdom. We pray, Lord, that you help us discern what is it that you want from us as we try to gradually open up our church again. Lord, as I said it before, Lord, we are committed to love and safety. We are committed to our people and our community. Please give us the wisdom. Lord, and I thank you so much for those of us that are part of our church that are faithfully supporting the church financially. I pray, Lord, that you continue to work in us and through us. I pray, Lord, that you continue to allow us, Lord, to use our finances for the glory of your name and the well-being of others. Please be with us this morning as we open up a scripture. Please speak, speak to our hearts, transform us, Lord. Illuminate our minds, give us the gift of repentance. Please transform our lives in the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, amen. All right, so if you are tuning in for the first time and you are not part of the church, I want to welcome you. I want you to know that we are here to love you and serve you. So if there's anything we can do for us, please let us know. Now, if you are part of our church already, if you belong to uh, one of our campuses, the West Chicago campus or the Streamwood campus, as always, I want you to know that we love you, that we have been praying for you, that we miss you, and that we are eagerly waiting for that time in which we're going to be able to worship uh, together. Now, if you have been with us for the last few weeks, we, you, know, you probably know that we started a series in the book of Proverbs exploring the concept of wisdom. 
Uh, actually, we have called this series, this series Wisdom for Life. And if you don't know what wisdom is, let me explain to you really quick. I'll give you a quick definition of what wisdom is. Wisdom is, is, is kind of a, having the ability to, to make decisions when we don't have, find rules or we don't have things clear about what to do. Actually, wisdom is it's a gift of God that gives his people to allow to make decisions when things are not as clear, when we don't find rules that, it, that in a specific tells us what to do. And actually, when you think about it, 70% of our lives is about making decisions like that. For about 70% of our lives, we don't find rules and a specific text that tells you this is what you ought to do. Um, so as I, as I was thinking of this, I'm thinking of, 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 a, of an interesting animal that is called a platypus. Now, let, let me, uh, before I go on, let me explain why is it that I'm using that example. So a few weeks ago, I was participating in one of the events of, uh, of our student ministries, and I lost a game. And what they told me is that because I lost the game, I was to use the word platypus in one of my sermons. Well, now, this is, this is the thing. They thought that they were punishing me. What they did not know is that we're actually giving me something that will help me in my preaching prep. Why? Because this platypus animal, which is a mix of a duck and a fish and a beaver, is actually kind of a, of a, of a, of a tiny monster, if you will, um, has a sixth sense. So not only this animal has this, not only he hears and sees and tastes and touches and smells things, but this animal in God's creation gave him, in God's providence, gave him this sixth sense that he's able to track his food when he does not see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. Now, I want to argue that wisdom is similar to that. Wisdom is kind of this platypus sixth sense that tells you what is it that you need to do, when you need to do it, and how you need to do it when when we don't see everything, when we don't hear everything, when we don't understand everything, that's why wisdom is so important. And let me remind you that I believe that about 70% of our lives is about making decisions like that. It's about applying wisdom like that. Now, the question for us is, how do we become wise? That, that's the question that we're trying to, to answer this morning. And I believe that Proverbs chapter 3 answers that question. How do we become wise? And for that, we're going to be reading from the book of Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to read verses 27 to 28. If you have a Bible, please grab it. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. And if you don't, don't worry. We're going to put the verses on the screen for you to read. Let's just start with verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and good name in the sight of God and men. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. 
This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your, bar- your barns will be filled with uh, will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, today we have three points uh, to talk about how to gain wisdom. Uh, We're going to talk about the way into wisdom, the timing of wisdom, and the person of wisdom. The way into wisdom, the timing of wisdom, and the person of wisdom. Of wisdom. Let's talk about the first, the first one of these three, the way into wisdom. Um, and what you're going to see right here is that there is the first nine verses. In the first nine verses, we find uh, five principles, uh, things that we ought to practice in order, to, in order for us to become wise. Now, before we do that, I want you to keep in mind that when you look at this text, the first thing that you realize is that the way it is written and organized is in a covenant format. What that means is that it's organized and written in the way in uh, covenants were written in the Old Testament. Meaning that in a covenant, there was always two parties, two groups of people involved. There was always a person that he was a superior, and there was always a person that was an inferior. In the case of this text, we have a father and a son. And the, the other thing that you see in a covenant is that the, the superior would always talk about um, things that the inferior needs to do. And if that inferior would do what the person needed to do, that person would either receive blessings, and if they wouldn't fulfill this, then there would be consequences for it. Now, notice here that there's a distinction here of a superior and an inferior. That's what I mean, that's what I mean when we talk about a covenant language or covenant format. Proverbs chapter 3, at least for the first 12 verses, is organized just like that. Now, it is important for you to see, though, right from the beginning, that wisdom is not one of those things that you learn how to do by a technique, This is not a set of how-to things. These are not a set of pragmatic things that you ought to do. These are not things that you ought to memorize in order for you to become wise. What you're going to see right now is that wisdom is the overflow or the result of you learning how to apply these principles time and time again. Let me say that again. Wisdom is the overflow or the result of you learning how to apply these principles Time and time again. This is not rules, and these are not techniques. It's the overflow of us learning how to live like life uh, using these principles. Now, with that in mind, then let's uh, let's talk about the first one of these. I want to give you principle number one, and this comes in verse one. And the first principle is this: You are called to know your God. 
Notice what it says in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Now, this is important because the word teaching there is the same word that we use. uh, Is the word that the Old Testament uses to talk about the Torah. In other words, is the word that is used to describe God's word. Therefore, we can assume that what the text is calling us to do is to not only not forget God's teachings, but to remember God's teachings, and that when he's talking about commands, he's talking about God's commands. Now, why is this important? Because he's calling us, and he's saying that in order for us to grow in wisdom, we must always have the word of God in front of us. That there is no wisdom without the word of God. And he says something similar to this in verse 3. And it says, uh, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around, around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. Now, if, if you follow the train of thought, you, you're going to realize that the, what, what the writer is saying and what the writer is doing is saying, if you, you got to learn how to see the scripture not just as laws and regulations, But that you got to learn to see the scripture as a story. It is the story of this God that is a God of love and a God of faithfulness. In other words, in order for us to grow in wisdom, we must learn not just to have the Bible in front of us all the time, but to learn to see the Bible not just as rules and regulations, but as this amazing story, the story of God, the story of a loving God and a faithful God. It's an, invitation to, uh, it's an invitation to us to engage with the Bible. That's why it uses the word bind, and that's why it uses the word write. It's an invitation for us to see that even the things that God is requesting from us are not just um, rules that we ought to follow, but those commands and laws are expressions of who God is. In other words, there is not one law in the Bible. There is not one regulation in the Bible that is not an expression of who God is. Therefore, everything that the Lord is asking you to do and asking me to do is an expression of who he is. Therefore, it's always good. And what the writer is saying, that the more we engage with God's word, the more we treasure God's word, the more we wrestle with God's word, the more we question even sometimes God's word. The more we grow in wisdom, because the more we do that, the more he shapes our character. Wisdom, then, is the overflow of a Bible-saturated, God-centered life. If you want to become wise, you must know your God. You must know the Bible. I would say that this is one of the differences between Christianity and modernity. See, Christianity, the way I read it in the Bible, invites you to ask questions. It invites you to question your beliefs and your preconceptions. It invites you to put everything you believe through the lenses of a scripture. On the other hand, modernity doesn't invite you to question, invites you to question everything except to question your own beliefs. And the Bible will push and say, no, 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 question your beliefs. Pass them through the senses, through the lenses of the Bible. Let the Bible shape what you believe. Let the Bible question what you believe. This is the difference between Christianity and modernity. In Christianity, the ultimate authority is God, His Word. 
And in modernity, the ultimate authority is the human being. This is the problem, though, that if you have your truth and I have my truth and there is no ultimate authority outside of us, which one is the truth? The Bible says, do you want to become wise? Learn the Bible. Know the Bible because when you do that, you know your God. That's principle number one. Let's go with principle number two. Learn how to know your heart. And for this one, I have know your heart part one, if you will, and know your heart part two. Look at the first one here, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Now, the word trust in the Bible is a very, very, very important word. Because usually the word trust in the Bible can be translated as obedience or believing. In other words, a person that believes in God uh, is a person that trusts God. A person that is, that is obedient to God is a person that trusts God. You're not obedient, you're, you don't trust him. You don't submit to him, which is what the text says, you, you, you don't trust him. Trust is always a synonym of obedience. It's always a synonym of, of, of submitting. It's always a synonym of believing. Now, what is interesting here, though, is that the word submit there in the text can also be translated as to know. The reason why this is important, because the argument of the writer here is that in order for us to trust God, to submit to him, to obey to him, we must know him. And it goes to principle number one. If that is true, then wisdom is the overflow of a life that learns to trust, obey, and submit to God because of who God is. Trust is a big thing in the Christian life. Trusting God is a big thing in the Christian life. My argument is actually really simple. If we don't trust God with all of our hearts, minds, and souls, if we don't love the Lord with all of our minds, hearts, and souls, and strength, if we don't do that, we are going to trust something else. Because as human beings, we cannot live lives in which we're not, we're not relying on something. We always submit to something. We always obey something. We always adore something. We always trust in something. Unfortunately, if you're a believer, well, unfortunately, no. If you're a believer, you don't get to trust God and trust something else. It's either God, the source of your satisfaction, your security, and your significance, or it is going to be something else. Now, this is something that we talk about here in the church a lot, but this is where the word idolatry comes in. See, for, for us, idolatry is when we elevate something as a source of satisfaction, security, and significance, uh, because we believe that that thing that could be a good thing um, replaces God. That's idolatry, right? And the tendency is to think that if we, are, we, are, uh, we have idolatry in our hearts, it's because we are worshiping something that is evil or something that is bad, but that's not what the Bible says. Actually, the Bible says that we struggle when we are trusting other things, even if it's good things and things that God gives us as our source of satisfaction, security, and significance. Listen to what John Piper says about this topic. He wrote a book called uh, A Hunger for God, and that's, this is where I'm getting it from. It says, the greatest adversary of love to God 
is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when this replaces an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. This is the thing. The problem with idolatry is that we, must be, that we might be trusting other things instead of God, and we don't recognize it. And eventually, it takes our life away. Wisdom, then, is the overflow of a life that learns how to trust, submit, and obey to God. Wisdom, then, is us learning how to deal with the idols in our hearts. That's principle number two. Principle number three. Let's talk about the heart again. You must know your heart, part two, if you will. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Now, if you notice here, the phrase do not be wise in your own eyes is similar to the phrase we found in verse five. Uh, do not lean on your own understanding. And this, is basically, and this is basically what the Bible is telling you. If you want to become wise, do not trust your heart. I, I, I know that that's not very appealing, and I know that it's actually shocking for some people, right? But the Bible is, gonna t- Bible is telling you that if you really want to become wise, you cannot trust your heart. Actually, what it says is that don't, you, you shouldn't rely so much on the things that you think you know. It's an invitation for us to be teachable. It's an invitation for us to learn how to seek advice. It's an invitation for us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Now, the book of Proverbs talks about a person that doesn't like to do that and doesn't want to do that. It's actually an offensive expression in the book of Proverbs, and he's the fool. So let me give you a description of what a fool looks like in light of the book of Proverbs, in specific, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 tells you that a fool is a person that habitually is out of touch with reality because he thinks he knows what he needs to know. A fool is a person of self-reliance. See, Proverbs chapter 1 says that a fool is someone that hates knowledge. It's the person that thinks that he already arrived or she already arrived to the knowledge that he or she needs to have. See, that's, that's the heart of pride. See, Proverbs number 1 tells you that a fool is a stubborn, opinionated, wise in their own eyes, and not willing to be corrected. In other words, not teachable. Now, this is where the text is going to confront us all, Christian or not, with this. Because the text assumes that we are all foolish in our hearts. The text assumes that because of our sinful nature, we all struggle with this. The text assumes that the reason why we need wisdom is because in our hearts, we are full of foolishness. Now, I want to argue that the Christians are not the only, one, the only ones that actually believe this. You know, secular thinkers know that this is true. There's a man called Jerome uh, Kagan, which is, um, I think that's the way you pronounce his last name. So if that's not the way it is, and you happen to be listening to the sermon, I'm sorry. This is a child psychologist. And he discovered that children are born with uh, one of these three temperaments that, uh, determine, that determine how they deal with difficulty. 
So for example, he says that there are some children that uh, respond to difficulty with anxiety and withdrawal. There's another group that responds to difficulty with aggression and assertive actions. And there's another group that responds to difficulty with optimism and effort. But listen to what he argues. He says that if parents don't intervene when kids are little, and I quote, children's natural temperament will dominate and will never learn how to make wise decisions because they will do what feels most natural. Did you catch that? This is what this psychologist says. That unless parents intervene, the foolishness in the, in the heart of a child, which is what the book, book of Proverbs says, will control. And they will never learn how to make wise decisions. This is part of the problem why I think that the modern circular thinking about how to raise kids is awful and extremely dangerous. See, we live in an era in which uh, parents are being taught that you shouldn't push your kids that you shouldn't impose your beliefs in your kids because they ought to discover, quote-unquote, what they are and what they want. You're, you know what the problem is with that? It's extremely irresponsible. And as Christians, if you're a believer, we have the responsibility to help our kids make decisions. And we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to transfer our faith to our kids. There will be an age and a time in which they will make their own decisions. But if you are a parent of a little one, this is not about them discovering. It's about you imparting, you sharing, you guiding, you pastoring. Why? Because your kid needs to learn how to be wise. This is one of the reasons why I find it awful. Listen up, people. Awful. When the advice we give to somebody else is follow your heart. Extremely irresponsible. Every time I hear that, every time I hear somebody else telling somebody else, you know what, you don't know what to do? Don't worry, follow your heart. Let me tell you what I feel inside. Please don't. Don't follow your heart. Seek for advice. Think about what the Bible says. Talk to people. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Because your heart is the problem. And this is what the text and this is what the Bible says. Wisdom, then, is the result of us learning how to be teachable. This is the reason why there could be people that are extremely smart and also extremely stubborn that are not wise. This is the reason why there's people that are uh, successful in everything they do, but not wise. Because wisdom requires that we know our hearts to recognize that we struggle with foolishness and that we need somebody else to speak into our life. Let the word speak into your life. Let other people speak into your life. That's wisdom. Principle number four. Know your treasure. Look at what it says here in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, this is interesting because why would the writer talk about generosity, which is what the text is talking about, when we're talking about wisdom? Now, if you remember, I told you a few minutes ago that we can only trust 
one God at a time. Either we trust our God or we trust something else. Now, the reason why I think that the writer puts this in this list of how to become wise here is because he knows how dangerous the love of money is. Not how dangerous it is to have money, but how dangerous it is to, uh, to love money. This is the reason why I think that he used the word honor here, purposely used the word honor here. The word honor can be translated literally as heavy, as important. And this is what the writer is saying, that you either have God as the ultimate person of importance, as the ultimate person of honor, as the ultimate person that you trust, or money. But you can have both. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because actually during this series, uh, the book of Proverbs, we're going to talk about generosity more. But for now, suffice to say this, wisdom is the product or the result of us learning how to be generous with what the Lord has given us. Generosity then helps us grow into wisdom. A person that is not generous, it is really hard for that person to become wise. Principle number five, know your neighbor. Now, look at this verse here. This is verse 27. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is, your, that it is in your power to act. Now, I'm going to borrow this concept from Bruce Waltke, which is, in my opinion, the scholar and the book of Proverbs. I was listening to an interview this week about him, uh, of him, and he was saying that he spent about 50 years studying the book of Proverbs. And he argues that this text is talking about justice. He argues that this text is talking about the church, Christians, learning to care, to love, to serve, and to provide for those in need. He argues that justice demands that we learn how to speak on behalf of the afflicted, the poor, and the vulnerable. Now, when you look at, uh, we don't have time to do this, but when you look at the book of Proverbs, that concept appears over and over again. And this is what he says, and I quote, to not care for them, for the afflicted, the poor, the needy, the widow, the oppressed, to not care for them when they are in need is not merely a lack of charity, is not merely a lack of charity, it is injustice. And what the book of Proverbs is saying this, in order for us to become wise, we need to learn to care for the afflicted, the widow, the poor, the immigrant, the vulnerable, the oppressed. Listen to what John Calvin says um, in his little book, The Golden Booklet of the True Christian Life. First of all, he says, Christians ought to imagine themselves in the place of the person who needs their help. That's why I say that indifference is not an option for Christians. And they ought to sympathize with him as though they themselves were suffering. They ought to show real mercy and humanness and offer their assistance as readily as if it were for themselves. In other words, if we believe that all human beings are created in the image of God, and we believe that they have value and dignity, we automatically start trying to put ourselves in their situation so we learn how to care and love and serve and speak on their behalf. This is what it says. 
heartfelt pity will banish arrogance and reproach and will prevent contempt and domineering over the poor and the needy. Listen, this is no secret that as a, as a nation, we have struggled with this forever. This is no secret that even as Christians, sometimes we struggle with this. We have such a hard time feeling what other people feel. We have such a hard time seeing the value and the dignity of another person creating the image of God when they suffer. I actually, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I see indifference. And as Christians, if you are a believer, you must understand that God is a God of grace, God is a God of love, God is a God of mercy, but God is a God of justice. And to him we cry. And for his people we speak. This is what it means to love our neighbor. See, as a church, we believe in the sanctity of life. As Christians, we believe that we are pro-life from the womb all the way to the tomb and everything in between. Because we believe that all human beings, regardless of color, race, ethnicity, age, and gender, are created in the image of God. Indifference is not an option for Christians. It's not an option. Violence is unacceptable. Racism is unacceptable. Abortion is unacceptable. Discrimination is unacceptable. Listen to the words of Shailene puts it, or Lena Lyon puts it. When God created humanity in his image, he didn't discriminate and he didn't give it an expiration date. Who would have thought that the book of Proverbs chapter 3 says that in order for us to grow in wisdom, we must care for our neighbor. We must know our neighbor. We must sympathize with those that suffer, created in the image of God. We must love. We must serve. We must seek. We must care. We must speak. Justice. See, in order for us to become wise, we need to know our God and know his word. We need to know our heart. We need to deal with our foolishness and our idolatry. We need to know our treasures. And we need to know and love our neighbor. Without that, Proverbs chapter 3 says, there is no wisdom. You know what the problem is with this? Especially if you are part of the modern, fast-paced, microwave, impatient group of people is that you would assume that we can become wise quick. That this is something that we could do if we applied the right technique. Have you, ever wondered, have you ever wondered why is it that all these bookstores, and you go to Amazon, just put Amazon and put self-help books, and you will see thousands of books. Have you ever wondered why is it that as a society we have this obsession with techniques and pragmatism and rules because we don't like to wait. And we don't like to go through the struggle of gaining information, gaining wisdom, gaining knowledge. Unfortunately for all of us that are like that, wisdom only comes to you when you apply these principles over and over and over and over again. And the more you apply them and the older you get, the wiser you become. With that then, this is going to take me to a second point, and don't worry, this is going to be super fast. The timing of wisdom. Let me tell you where I get this from. If you look at verse 3, 
it says, when we talk about uh, love, knowing your God, it uses the phrase, never leave you. Never. It, it's a constant application of you learning how to know God. Look at when he uses the word bind, that word can also be translated as meditating, wrestling with the scripture. If you look at verse 6, it says, in all your ways. It's interesting that the word ways right there is the same word that is used in the Bible to describe a journey. In your journey, know your heart. In your journey, know your God. In your journey, keep on thinking about the things that you're supposed to be thinking. When you go to verse 7, it talks about the fear of the Lord. And then this one is calling us to us, uh, to us learning how to treasure God more than anything else. You know what the problem is, though? Is that learning how to treasure God takes a long time. When I was reading this, when I was prepping for this, I, heard, I read from uh, Bruce Waltke again, saying that wisdom requires a strong emotions about God and a passion toward God. And that only happens when you go to him time and time again. When you are applying his principles time and time again. When we think, when we meditate, when we remember, when we trust, when we pursue God. Wisdom then is the result of a journey of us knowing God. Of a journey of us knowing our heart. Of a journey of us knowing our treasure. Of a journey of us knowing our neighbor. Now I told you right from the beginning that I wanted you to remember that the way this text was set up. It was in a covenant format. Do you remember? And, and this is the reason why I wanted you to do that. Because I didn't spend a lot of time on this one because I don't have all the time. But if you noticed, there was a command and there was a, a blessing or a promise. So, for example, in knowing God that came in verses 1 to 3, the promise, if we're wise, is that we, ha- we would experience a life of peace uh, and a life in favor with God and in favor with others. That would be verses 2 and 4. When we talked about knowing your heart, it says that if you do that, if you deal with your idolatry, and if you are not wise in your own understanding, and if you are wise, the result is that we get a life that is straight, is a life that, is, uh, that we experience healing. That's verses 6 and 8. When we talked about treasure in verse 9, it says that if we are wise and generous, the result is prosperity, verse 10. And when you go to verse 27, it says that if we love our neighbor, if we know our neighbor and we are wise, then the result is that God becomes our friend and he blesses our home. So here's a question for you. Are you wise enough to deserve that? See, that's the problem. None of us are wise enough to say that we deserve all those blessings. And this is the part where the gospel comes in. Because wisdom is not just about gaining all these things. And it's not just about applying the principles. Wisdom is a person. That's why as Christians, we cannot read this text without thinking of Jesus. See, Jesus is the covenant maker. This is what the New Testament talks about the new covenant. Jesus is the one that actually puts the laws of the covenant. Jesus is the one that promises the blessings of the covenant. But Jesus himself is the one that takes our spot because we have not fulfilled our part of the covenant. This is amazing. Actually, when you keep on reading the text, write the last verse. We didn't read this today. But write the, the last verse says that the wise inherit honor and that the fools get only shame. And look at what Jesus did for you. He went to the cross to absorb the shame we deserve so you can have the honor he deserves. 
You know how we become wise? You have an idea how is it that we become wise? Not only when we apply these principles over and over again, but when we get to see in Jesus the example of the ultimate wisdom and, is the, and the guarantee of the promises of these covenants. See, it is, it is in him that we have life and peace. It is in him that we have favor with God and with people. It is in him where we experience true healing. It is in him when we experience true prosperity. It is in him that we become, that God becomes our friends and he blesses our home. The more we see Jesus as the person of wisdom, the more we believe that Jesus took what we deserve, the shame we deserve, the more we see that he gave us the honor he deserved, the more wise we become. The more we want to know our God, the more we want to know our heart, the more we want to treasure, we, we want to treasure him above even our things, the more we want to love our neighbor. Do you believe that? That will be the only way that you become wise. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that we get, Lord, to not only to see and hear what is required for us to become wise, Lord, but that, that we get to see that wisdom is the overflow of us, of us applying those principles, but it's also the overflow and the result of us placing our trust in our covenant maker, Jesus Christ. Please make it happen. Please help us, Lord, to know you, to know our hearts, to know our treasures, and to know our neighbor. Please make us the people that we ought to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's respond with um, the song, I'd Rather Have Jesus.
We want to thank you for being with us today. I, I want to remind you that uh, we are here to serve you and love you. I want to remind you that we are here as agents of reconciliation to bring heaven uh, to earth. And with that, um, I, I want to pray over you the blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Thanks for being with us, Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, Please stay with us. We have some announcements for you. Have a blessed day. worshiping with us today. I'm Carol and I serve at Tri-Village Church, our Streamwood campus. Each summer, all campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner to create the Puente del Pueblo Summer Program. In this program, kids are learning how to succeed in school, acquiring new life skills, and having a lot of fun. The volunteers who are mentoring students through this program are making a lasting difference, both in their academic and their occupational opportunities. So starting July 6th, we will be opening our summer program with additional precautions outlined by health officials for COVID-19. If you are ready to serve the next generation, visit wheatonbible.org volunteer to sign up or to find out how else you can be involved this summer. Volunteer training will be held over Zoom before the program starts on July 6th. In March, Pastor Rob announced his retirement and the elder board share their plan for the next senior pastor. Here's an update from search committee chair, Jim Getz. Good morning, church family. My name is Jim Getz. I am an elder here at your church, and I've been asked to lead our search process for a new senior pastor for all of us. This is our announcement today that we are starting this process. We have formed a search team, and we are looking forward to God's will for our church. As you know, Rob and Rhonda announced that they will be moving on to the next stage of their life uh, next year, that is in 2021. And the elders have been planning the succession for a couple of years. But today, we're starting that important journey. 
Our goal is to seek God's will for our church, your church, his church. We want him to help us find a senior pastor who deeply loves God, will deeply love us, and who, whom we will deeply love in return. We have formed this search team. We'll be providing a lot more information on our website on the process and how it expects, how we expect it to work. Uh, but in the meantime, we want you to know your role. We would like you to pray, to surrender our hearts to God in this process and to pray for his provision for all of us. We already have a common question being asked, and that is, who really decides uh, the senior pastor of the church? That is answered by our Constitution, which says you, the congregation, decide in a congregation-wide vote of the membership of Wheaton Bible Church. The search team will recommend to the elders a finalist, hopefully this fall, and then the elders will recommend to the congregation, and hopefully early next year, we will uh, see God provide and the congregation decide on our new senior pastor. Thank you all for your service to our Lord. Thank you for your love for Wheaton Bible Church and thank you for your prayer as we start this journey with him.